In the beginning, God created. The very first verse of the book of Genesis is the starting point for every one of us who desire to know God's detailed account of how He created this world and why. And from Genesis to Revelation, God reveals history from His eternal perspective. Welcome to this broadcast of Science, Scripture, and Salvation from the Institute for Creation Research. This month we are airing three special broadcasts featuring the teaching ministry of ICR's founder, Dr. Henry Morris. Today we conclude with part three of The Book of Beginnings. Uh, having pointed out, of course, that there's nothing taking place that creates anything in the world today, and nobody's ever seen any kind of organism evolve, the fact is that science is actually completely unable to understand anything about creation or origins because the present processes of nature don't produce anything. In all human history, nobody's ever seen any kind of an animal evolve from a lower animal. They've tried to do this in the laboratory, but it's never been done, never been successful. Nobody's ever seen it happen. And plenty of extinctions take place. Some people tell us about uh, one a day, animals or plants become extinct. A lot of extinctions are happening, but no evolution is happening in all human history. And science, which means knowledge, cannot deal with origins because origins deal with processes which are not taking place now. So if we want to know anything about origin, once again we must go to Genesis. Well, there are other aspects of the creation of Genesis which speak of the beginnings of things. Let me get away now from uh, science and get back into the scriptures because, as was pointed out earlier, the book of Genesis lays the foundation for all the great truths and doctrines of the Bible and of the Christian faith. And really to understand our Christian faith and any of our doctrines, we need to begin with Genesis. And I like to think of it in terms of what you might call the principle of first mention. Now that just simply means that the Bible is a unity. Although it has 66 books and about 40 different authors, yet it's only one book and has one author really. Holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Ghost, Peter says. So it's all a unity and therefore it's going to be the same testimony through the whole scripture, Genesis to Revelation. And so that would suggest, at least, that when the, the very first time a great theme is mentioned, a great doctrine, a great word, it's going to set the foundation for all the rest. Let me just give an example or two of that. We'll see some of this more as we go along for some of the other later studies. But uh, let's take, for example, the marvelous word grace. Grace, we're saved by grace. Grace is the unmerited favor. In fact, the same word, grace, is translated favor sometimes in the New Testament. It's not something that we earn. You can't earn God's grace. But nevertheless, he manifests his grace. And so it's interesting to, to find that the very first time the word grace is used in the Bible is in Genesis 6-8, right at the very end of the document written by Noah. It says when God told him that the, the, that the end of all flesh had come before him, violence had filled the world, he was going to destroy all flesh. Then it says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. That was the last thing Noah wrote. He said the next thing was, he signed his name, these are the generations of Noah. That's in Genesis 6, 8, and 9. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah did not earn his salvation through the flood by his works, but because he found grace. Grace is not something you earn, it's something you find. It's interesting also that this ties in so beautifully to the New Testament. The very first time the word is used in the New Testament, it's translated favor, but it's the same Greek word, charis, meaning grace. It's usually translated grace. The very first time it's found in the New Testament is an account of the coming of the angel Gabriel to Mary, and he says, Fear not, Mary, thou hast found favor 
in the eyes of God. Noah found grace. Mary found grace. Noah founded a new age. Through Mary came the one who would be the Savior. And our age, it's a beautiful tie-in to these uh, words. And you find the theme of grace in all through the Bible, the grace of God, the unmerited favor of our Creator. We don't deserve to be saved. We're all wicked sinners in the sight of a holy God. But nevertheless, by grace, we're saved. And you know that we're saved by grace through faith. We believe God. I trust that everyone here tonight has appropriated God's grace through faith, through believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the first time the word faith is used in the Bible. Now the word faith and the word belief are the same things, and uh, just slightly different forms of the same word faith and believe and believe and so forth. And the very first time that is used in the, in the Bible is in connection with the story of Abraham, who frequently in the New Testament is called the father of all those who believe, the father of those who have faith, the father of the faithful. First time it's used was uh, when God revealed himself to uh, a- Abraham there after the uh, victory over the kings in Genesis 14 when it looked like Ab- Abraham was a very pitiful stranger in an alien land with tremendous forces arrayed against him and yet God protected him and gave him victory and then God appeared to him and uh, promised him he was he was going to become the father of many nations and in his seed uh, all the nations would be blessed he repeated the promise he had made in Genesis 12 in Genesis 15 6 and says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. That was the first time the word belief or faith is used. And that tells us that the basic concept of faith is that it produces righteousness. It's not that good works produce righteousness, but it's faith that causes righteousness to be imputed to us by God himself. It says back in the case of Noah, when Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, then the next statement, which was written by his sons, the three sons of Noah, says Noah was a just man. The word just is the same as righteous. Noah was righteous because of grace. Abraham was righteous because of faith. By grace we're saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. And speaking of works, you know, the first time the word work occurs in the Bible is in Genesis 2 when it says, God rested from all his work which he had made. The heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. On the seventh day, God ended his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all of his work which God created and made. It was God's work. It's the, the, the subject of works focuses particularly on the works of God in creating this marvelous universe. And God rested from that, so he's not creating it now, as we've pointed out. So that conforms to the laws of thermodynamics. God has rested from his works. But he's upholding all things by the word of his power. That also supports the, uh, is supported by the laws of thermodynamics. First time works are mentioned in the New Testament is when the Lord Jesus said, Let your light so shine before men that they shall see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So God's works, with respect to the creation of all the universe and his marvelous handiwork, is the basis of all real work, and then our work should be that which will glorify our Father which is in heaven. And one other, and then I'll, I'll close. The greatest word, I think, in the Bible is the word love. You know where that first occurs? is in Genesis 22, where it says, where God come to Abraham and said, Abraham, said God did tempt Abraham. By the way, that's the first time the word tempt occurs in the Bible too. But the word tempt does not mean tempt to do evil. God cannot be tempted with evil, the Bible says. But to test him or to prove him, that's the way it's usually translated. God did test Abraham because Abraham needed to know that he was 
right with God, and so did other people need to know that. Abraham was justified by works in the sight of men. He was justified by faith in the sight of God. So God did test Abraham and said, Abraham, he said, Behold, here I am. He said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell thee of. You remember the story of Abraham and Isaac, I'm sure. Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, and literally is one word, thy beloved son. Take thy beloved son and offer him there for a burnt offering. And that was a terrible test of Abraham. He loved his son. He was the promised seed. God had delayed the fulfillment of that promise till it took a miracle to have Isaac to be born at all. And now he was a grown young man. He was, he was not just a, a child like many people think of it. He was a grown young man. You can show that from the chronology involved. And now he was in him all God's promises were centered, yet God now says to offer him up for a burnt offering. You notice he did not say slay him. He just says to offer him up for a burnt offering. But that's the way Isaac and Abraham understood it. And it says twice they went both of them together, so Isaac was willing to go along with his father Abraham. And he knew what was involved. He knew he was going to be sacrificed because that's what all the pagan tribes around them did. They sacrificed their sons to their gods. And then Isaac said, well, we love our God as much as they do. And so, and Abraham thought that too, but it was a terrible grief to him. Well, the interesting thing there with respect to this concept of unity and first mention and so on is that the first mention of love in the Bible does not relate to the love of a husband and wife or a man and a woman or parents for children or love of country or brotherly love, but rather the love of a father for his son. The basic love of all love is the love of father for the son. Those of you who are fathers who have sons can understand little of what that means, but uh, not really very much, because this is a picture, of course, of the love of God the Father for God the Son before the foundation of the world. In the upper room, the Lord Jesus prayed, you remember, and says, Father, thou lovest me before the world began. Before there was ever any other kind of love, there was love of the Father and the Son. And so that's the root of all love, and every type of love that we know anything about, real love, has its root and foundation in the love of the Father for the Son. And now it's interesting that the first time the word love occurs in the New Testament is in third chapter of Matthew where God the Father speaks from heaven and says, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And the first time it occurs in the Gospel of Mark, same thing again, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And the first time in Luke, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. It's as though three times now from heaven, God the Father is telling us that Jesus Christ is his beloved Son. And the first time it occurs in the Gospel of John is so significant because the Gospel of John uses the word love more than any other book of the Bible. It's the Gospel of love. It has more references to the Father and more references to the Son than any other book of the Bible. And the first time it occurs in John, well, where else could it be? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Creation, fall, redemption, and consummation are all tied together in the grand narrative of Scripture, as Dr. Morris has taught us today. Thanks for joining us for this conclusion to The Book of Beginnings on Science, Scripture, and Salvation. As we see God's faithfulness in His dealings with mankind throughout history, we are humbled to know how faithful He is to us every day. And that's why we continue to broadcast programs like this each week. But we need to know that you are learning from our broadcast. Your gift to ICR this month will help ensure that this vital teaching ministry continues each week. In appreciation for your gift, 
I want to send you the book Exploring the Evidence for Creation by Dr. Henry Morse III. Call 800-337-0375 and mention the Exploring the Evidence radio offer along with the call letters of this station. Or write me at ICR Radio, Box 59029, Dallas, Texas 75229. That's ICR Radio, Box 59029, Dallas, Texas 75229. To learn more about the ministry of ICR, visit icr.org. And thanks again for listening to Science, Scripture, and Salvation.